Thank you very much, Sarah, for, for joining. I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Leading with Empathy podcast. We have just rebranded from the Everyday Hero because it fits better with what we're planning. And we'll talk more about that another time, actually, because today I have a special guest, Sarah Rhodes, who is a digital marketer, environmental activist, and founder for the purpose business Plastic Free Southeast Asia, hailing from Adelaide, South Australia. She's worked in Siem Reap, Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and all over Southeast Asia, actually, and now lives in Sydney, Australia, where her work is cut out for her. Uh, she's been involved in many community initiatives from inspiring the people of Cambodia to reducing their plastic usage to working with tourism businesses to have a triple impact of staff, suppliers, and guests changing the way they operate to take better care of the local environment. And through her company, Plastic Free Sea or Plastic Free Southeast Asia has reached over 15,000 people in person with this important work. And I think more now digitally. Uh, and her vision is a cleaner and healthier world where environmental care is naturally our first thought. Thanks for taking the time to join the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Right. So first question, random one, uh, actually. So plastic free sea, Southeast Asia, but you're not just in Southeast Asia. I mean, Cambodia is in Southeast Asia, but where where is your impact? Like, what do you what do you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mainly Southeast Asia and Australia. Uh, being an Aussie, I've got a fair bit of context for Australia and how Australians think and businesses operate. And then, yeah, living in Cambodia for five years. And actually, initially, the company was called Plastic Free Cambodia, and we'd often abbreviate it to PFC. Uh, so when I decided the impact was actually we we're getting, you know, a lot of inquiries from all over Southeast Asia, and then I was getting ready to move back to Australia. I'll change the name. I didn't want it to be too long. So it's still PFC, just SEA, so Southeast Asia. And I think it's also like a nice tie-in for the ocean, which is one of the things we're trying to protect. Oh, nice and punny there. That, yeah, that, I am punny. <laughs> great. So on, on that note, I was going to ask just in Cambodia when, when I was there, I remember that there was a lot of like in many places in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of plastic trash that, that ends up on the beach. But the local authorities were saying that it wasn't even from Cambodia. So is this outreach that you're doing, does it also consider the plastic waste that are coming from other places uh, when you're doing your, your advocacy to people? Let me rephrase that question, actually, because this just came up as you were saying. I was just thinking this as you said. Yeah, sure. The plastic waste that comes through there, like there must be pushback from Cambodians uh, that say that some of this stuff is not from us or not because of us. And this is when we are doing our advocacy over the idea, this is one of the things that comes up. How do you approach that, the pushback that you get from people that you want to make that change? We don't actually get a lot of pushback about that specifically, like maybe in more intimate sort of scenarios, like someone might say, oh, you know, my neighbour they have their big wedding party and then they sweep all this stuff and it all ends up in my front yard, that kind of thing. But not so much this like it's coming from other countries. But part of, I guess, like back in the, the early days of PFC, um, we kicked off in 2015, there was a really impactful study that came out saying that most of the waste in the oceans was coming from just nine rivers in the world. And most of them are in Southeast Asia. So we're really trying to work to stop 
that flow going into the rivers and prevent it from going into the ocean. Uh, there were also not so many localised studies, but now we're seeing a lot more marine litter studies come up. Uh, in Cambodia, there's like there's some going on as we speak, and also a lot more organisations in Australia as well that are working on this and collecting the data and seeing exactly which places they're coming from, but more importantly, which companies the plastic is coming from. Wow, that that's a big one. Yeah, and I saw that article that came out a few months ago that said that what over half of the world's single-use plastic waste is just coming from twenty companies or something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another very um, profound uh, piece of evidence there. Yeah. So, so your your work is it targeting more consumers or is it more companies? More companies. Uh, partly that was because of. The, the situation in Cambodia, it felt more natural to, to work with companies. And of course, there was some overlap with the community as well. Uh, and now I see that that's a really valuable space to be in. There's a lot of influencers that are, uh, you know, working on this for the community and bringing the community on board, which is wonderful. Like I know a lot of them, they're awesome. But working with businesses uh, is a great opportunity to sometimes get in front of people who wouldn't opt in uh, and wouldn't gravitate towards this information. Uh, and so it's an opportunity to present a little bit of information compelling that will help them change their behaviour and be part of a team doing it together rather than relying on them to take that initiative by themselves. And what's the hard, because that, that's not easy though, like working with someone who doesn't know of it, isn't in that sector or realm and is now being yeah. told to change their behaviour. Like how, how do you do that? I've always approached it that for every workshop I do, if I connect with one person, then it's been a success. Mm-hmm. Um, the good part is, is that often I'll get the feedback from whoever's hired me to go in and do the training saying, oh, FYI, uh, this person and this person, you know, were very resistant about joining. And I've then, you know, got them to present their own sort of ideas by the end of the session and they're quite enthusiastic not always but sometimes and those are like the little success stories I think that that make a big difference as well that's great so it doesn't sound like a because what we see online um and you know social media really is is a way of dividing people but do you think and, and what we see on social media a lot of time is also like shaming and it sounds like you're mm. not shaming people in your workshops for them to open no. up. No, I really, I guess, pride myself on the fact that I've not taken that approach. And once I became aware of it, I realized actually it's really powerful to lead by example, mm-hmm. uh, to show people what can be done and to understand where they're at. And I think part of that was moving somewhere like Cambodia and being in a totally different culture. I needed to understand what it was that, you know, like the position that people were coming from. And I think when it comes to plastic pollution, you know, anyone who's traveled to Southeast Asia notices straight away how much there is litter on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was the same for me. And then when you you step back and you realise that most things were previously wrapped in lotus leaves or banana leaves, and so it didn't matter when that was thrown on the ground so much because it would be swept up and, and burnt at the end of the day or it would be, you know, just decomposing into the environment. Um, 
with the introduction of plastic, the behaviour didn't change, but the material did. So being able to understand that process really meant I could go in without judgment and just provide the information and the, the steps to change. That's so refreshing because in the in, in the West anyway, the the approach is pretty hard. Like I and and it's getting harder and harder. And and you hear activists saying that, you know, and there, there's memes of Greta Thunberg, Thunberg and her mm-hmm. angry face and this <laughs> fortunately is sort of the the recall for for people who are maybe not as as prone environment let's say or or uh, as green it, and it's really starting to divide people from what it looks like online anyway and so you're definitely very refreshing so do you thank you do you think that the how do we get more people to do to do what you do though to do it that way to to mm. is, you're acting more empathetically you you went to cambodia you saw you felt you were in their positions and then, you know, you, you applied reflection. And then unfortunately, I don't think that we're in a day and age where people are doing journaling and things like that as, as much anymore. So how, how was that process for you? Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll talk about that a bit more and then probably dig a bit deeper, but for you, what was that like? It was, I mean, it was amazing. I think I always went into Cambodia thinking, I don't want to, I had no notion of starting something. It really happened very organically, just to, you know, throw another pun in there. Um, (laughs) I really wanted to see where I could add value. And I don't know, I don't know where that came from, to be honest. (laughs) I just knew I didn't want to go and and rehash something that was already being done or do something that was going to cause more damage than good. I really wanted to make sure that what I could contribute was, yeah, providing something useful that that's interesting because like when we think of expats or, or volunteerism in Cambodia people doing initiatives in in country like in countries like that you know people refer to this sort of expat hero mentality and and I like that you don't mm-hmm. have that and I was just yeah so finding out like what where in your journey potentially that happened because it's it's certainly what you're doing is leading the community in, in a particular sector. So there's thought leadership coming from you because it's quite unlike other people who are advocating for the environment. There wasn't, and for you, I guess there wasn't a spark. So you might've actually already have been a fairly empathetic person going to Cambodia. Do you think it developed, <laughs> developed your, your capacity a bit more that way? Oh, for sure. I think like any kind of travel or experiencing different cultures or living in different cities even um starts to yeah make you more aware of the world as a whole rather than just the little little bit that you've grown up in and you only know what you know until you're exposed to new ideas and new things and I guess I was open to that and open to learning and being curious and but maybe that's what took me to Cambodia to begin with right because if I wasn't curious I would have happily maybe stayed in Adelaide forever hmm. maybe you're not a good example then so what about what about your team in Cambodia like I'm, I'm unique <laughs> <laughs> yes you are actually again the first thing why I thought man I need to interview you so how about your team members who who join Plastic Free the Cambodians who are who are there are they also like you, like the version of Sarah there, or was there some kind of development 
that needed to happen for your gene was say, hey, like, let's not shame anybody. Maybe instead of saying that, we say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've definitely had conversations about it. And I think that the people that I've had join over the years and particularly the, the two that I have at the moment are pretty incredible humans in their own right. And so, it, yeah, it just took a little bit of like, this is this is how we do it. And they're like, yeah, cool. That makes sense. <laughs> so, who are they? What, what, what are their backgrounds like? And so that we, we get an understanding. By the way, so we have listeners mainly from Europe and the US, which for me is really strange because I don't have such a connection in, in these places. So, yeah, like tell, tell me a little well, bit more about them and the development that, that's happened with the people that you have, the advocates that you have. So, in Phnom Penh, I uh, have. Chenda, she has her own business as well, uh, which is a secondhand clothing boutique. Okay. Uh, she's been very active with the Girl Guides Association uh, mm-hmm. for, oh, I, I can't even remember, maybe like two decades. It's impressive. And so through that, she's had a lot of uh, opportunities for leadership training providing leadership to to new people as she's progressed and and been with them for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's had a lot of experience in facilitating workshops uh, and she's she's done work on women's rights and human rights and all sorts of incredible things. So sort of, uh, yeah, hit the jackpot with Chenda. That sounds good. And then Sai, he was a a really unexpected acquisition. I did a, a recruitment drive must have been maybe back in 2018 uh, I'd been chatting with a friend who works with uh, tour guides for a travel company and she said well in the in the off season the, tra- the tour guides are kind of looking for other things and you know maybe that could be a good avenue and the off season is when we were most busy as well because we work with a lot of hotels and tour companies uh, so I invited uh, everyone who wanted to join and learn about the program and potentially be workshop facilitators mm-hmm. and um Sai was there his older brother had brought him along uh, so he's not a tour guide uh he was a student and um he didn't say a single thing during that whole session <laughs> and then he ended up being the absolute star and like all the feedback we've had from the workshop has now you know now been a number of years uh, obviously a few less workshops than normal in the last to uh but the feedback is always like he presents it he so well he gets people to really understand and buy in and invest in the message and yeah it's just really wonderful so so curious about that process though because like the is it do the people i guess the people who come to the workshops are already in some way bought in Right. Like, would you say that in Cambodia, most people or no, they don't. They're mm. not so away and under mm. such strong impressions. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I would say that my typical client would be someone usually like a GM of a hotel or the director um, of an NGO. And they've been working on the environmental messaging for a while. Mm-hmm. And not really seeing that sort of connection with their staff. 
So they may have already alleviated many of the single-use plastics. They may have got different practices in, but they can tell that their team don't really understand why uh, or don't really um, have that full, I guess, team, team cohesion around the topic. Uh, and so often that's the stage where I come in or my team come in and we bring everyone to the conversation and get them involved as well. And so then they're sort of along the journey and it changes the dynamic. And then it also empowers them to come up with solutions as well for things that they may have not even realized were a problem. But once they understand what the problem is, they can start bringing ideas up and putting them into place. So you're bridging that, that knowledge gap that that's well knowledge gap motivation gap they're not there Mm -hmm. these oh it's a good thing that these general managers so generally the senior managers and stuff are already let's say fairly progressive in that regard yeah Yeah. their teams are not exhibiting any any or those behaviors that they wanted to do they don't know why they're doing it i see yeah yeah that's interesting you know maybe it's small things like a you know a cafe or something and uh, they'll have gotten rid of all their plastic straws but the staff will go out and buy a bag of plastic straws because there weren't any left and they you know <laughs> thought, thought they were helping and doing the right thing so that's so you know, having that there's like, a reason for the actions that are like the setup that's in place yeah it, it, it's making me think though because like i we we recently well since 2017 like we've been doing just like consumer insights on on waste management and um most people so that's that's in line with what you're saying most people don't remember don't recall some kind of a anti-littering or recycling or any kind of green campaign and that was targeting towards the the provinces um and then we did another one just two weeks ago and nothing so in this there hasn't been any improvement um so basically no recall um the numbers are the same and this was the similar (coughs) target audience but what we saw in CMREIT was that there was a lot more advocacy happening, a lot more talk mm. of ecotourism. The ministry has been talking about it for a really yeah. long time. And uh, even online, we, we see influencers doing it and more and more businesses picking up trash. I, I guess that these activities are maybe either not reaching these, this, the, maybe the low to mid income workers uh, or it doesn't mm-hmm. resonate with them. Um, this is just the conclusion. That that's to. perhaps more in the provinces and maybe it hasn't quite reached the provinces yet. I think CM Reap's a pretty great success story yeah. about what can happen. Mm-hmm. And replicating that is going to take a bit of time. Like even somewhere like Phnom Penh, it's so big. Yeah. It's going to take a lot more time for it to be noticeable. And the little pockets of eco-ness are more spread out, whereas CM Reap's quite small so it was easy for it to spread around a little bit more perhaps do, do you think the fear of missing out for for Cambodians like this not even Cambodians just people in general like there's a with businesses there's a FOMO right they do you think that <laughs> that was one of the reasons why they were like oh my god like these my five neighboring hotels have all just gone plasticless I'm the only one that's still ruining the environment do you think that was part of it or do you think that they are looking at the consumer first and the consumer pressure was the was the thing or the agents the TAs the travel agents are like hey we need you to be like this and that way we'll give you clients I think probably a combination 
and it depends on the the travel agent but there are a number of of tour companies that book in Siem Reap that do have those kind of stipulations that we will promote your hotel more if it doesn't have single-use plastic you'll get a higher preference um I think there is also that you know the GMs network together and they talk to each other and share ideas and so then the idea gets passed around a bit from that and then there are some guests coming in but I think when it comes to the guests it's more if they see that it's available if they see that a more environmental option is available they'll be very happy but I think one of the biggest things we would face was plastic water bottles and people who are not familiar with Cambodia uh, and this is certainly true of many other places in the world as well and when your country like Australia is pretty risk averse for example uh, are saying oh don't drink the water in Cambodia then of course people are going to think okay I have to only drink bottled water and that was certainly the case for me when I was moving there I thought how am I going to deal with this it's not really sitting comfortably with me, but I feel like it's the only option. Of course, I applied my curiosity and I found a solution pretty quickly. Um, but if you're only in a place for such a short amount of time and the average visit to CM Reap is three days, then you don't have time to seek that out. So if your hotel is providing you with filtered drinking water so you don't have to use plastic bottles, then that's a huge win. Sounds like it's taking a lot of people to, to make this change, which we know yeah. is needed. But I don't think that also from my experience, the public, well, especially well, mainly the Cambodian public, understand the effort it takes. Because mm -hmm. I, I remember there was back in, I think, 2017 or something, I was speaking at, at some university event, and at the Q&A session, there was, and the Ministry of Environment was there, there was so much anger <laughs> targeted towards the government. And I was thinking, hold on a minute, but we're the ones, you guys are the ones littering, though. Like, there are, mm -hmm. like, students have the option. And so it's great. What's great, though, I will say, is at least students are aware, you know. So you've got this under-24 age group, which are exposed on the internet. They see the, the plastic issues. They know it could be better. But the dialogue isn't, hey, we could do something. The dialogue was, yeah, man, you guys just aren't picking it up and you should be doing that. You should be doing that. And I kind of took the microphone away and I said, hold on a minute. How many people are at the school? 20,000 people. And who buys breakfast outside? I was like, most of you. And when you mm -hmm. buy your Baisai Chuk, which is the pork rice, it comes with how many items of plastic, single-use waste, mm -hmm. plastic, just waste, you know, including the rubber and all the stuff that comes with it. And it's like five mm -hmm. to seven. And then we worked out that mm -hmm. there's over a million pieces of single-use plastic generated per month. And I said, you guys are insane, though. Like, who's creating the issue? I'm sorry, yeah. but you yeah. guys could be taking a, the, yeah. those little takeaway tins and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, ended up being a bit of a lecture towards the students. Yeah, but that's fantastic. That little exercise that you just described is something that, you know, we do a lot in our workshops as well, because when people think it's just one just one pork and rice, yeah, they don't think about it. But when you add it up, all of the students for a whole month, like that's a big number. And that is one shocking. School. That was one school. One school. Yeah. And it's not that much different here in Australia, I'll say. I was on a call the other day and um, this uh, great young guy was talking and he's like, 
So what do you do about these people? Like everyone's posting it on, you know, their Instagram and their Snapchat and whatever, and they're taking pictures and going, this uh, is not very good, they're, you know, like with the, the litter and whatever. And he called it slacktivism. He's like, it's, it's real slacktivism. They're complaining about it, but then you see they're not actually changing their own behaviour. No. Um, so that was really interesting as well. I'm not ready to share this report, the one that I was telling you about, actually. We haven't published yeah. it. Um, but I will, I will share one of the insights, though. Only three out of ten Cambodians could recall the, the litter, uh, anti-litter or recycling or waste separation kind of campaign. So three out of ten when mm -hmm. we have noted that the campaigns have gone up. <laughs> so we've noted that it's, it's increased. This environmental activism online has increased. And yet that number of people who can remember have stayed the same. So something in the messaging is, is not working. So or, was this specifically for online? Uh, no, this was just, or, just like, do you remember? It was just in general. Yeah. yeah. Like, so right now off the top of your mind, like, what do you remember? You know, and they're like, ah, nothing. I don't remember seeing anything. And the fact that they say, well, nothing is like, wow, that that's not great. And and the other part of it was we see them. It's definitely plastered on billboards. It's definitely out there with companies and, and so either we're not working together enough or we're not or the messaging needs to improve but we know just from the community like putting on the communications hat that mm -hmm. there are definitely campaigns that we can do you know like I come from New yeah. Zealand and I remember the don't be a tosser kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah 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 yeah, yeah that one's still that kicking about <laughs> later over to the shores here yeah I, I thought yeah. that was great you know and and it was it's, it's a bit of a shame-based one, but it wasn't too shameful. Like, it wasn't too aggressive, like I thought. kind of fits in with the Aussie Kiwi sort of humour. Yeah. Local. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. For sure. What I would say is consistency. It really needs to be consistency. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, we get a little bit, like, deep and nerdy for a moment, <laughs> Uh, I've really been getting fascinated by the psychology of habits and, and behaviour and how humans work. And the thing that has struck me the most is just the way we process information. And we have so much information coming at us every day. And now more than ever, like social media and scrolling through all of the blah, there's like so much to digest and our brains just don't process that. So we have this system which filters things out. That's not important. That's not important. This is important. This is important. So if, for example, you're looking to buy a new motorbike and you're like, yeah, I really want a, a red Scoopy, um, you will start to see red Scoopies around the place because you've told your mind, this is important to me and I want to start focusing on it. Uh, so it's how we get now because this has been a question I've been asking myself for nearly a decade is how do we get people to care? Well, we need to get them to realise it's important for them to tell their brains this is important to me so that they start paying attention more to those billboards and to the, the advocates that are on their social media streams and that sort of thing. So it's about that switching that on that recognition to begin with so that their brain filters all that in. That is so interesting that you've brought it back to a, some kind of a mental switch that they kind of need a yeah. flick. I guess a lot of communication campaigns are coming in from the other side. So there's no, hey, this is important to us. Like in terms of a funnel, 
the awareness yeah. that they take is like, hey, you just need to be aware of it. But in actual fact, we kind of need you to care if we kind of need you to give yeah. a Yeah. Well, everyone's fighting for their attention, right? You know, buy these shoes, get this new phone, whatever. Like it's all it's all coming at us all of the time. Yeah. Um, so it is about making that switch. And that's helped me because, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people. It's like, ah, oh, why don't they care? And I'm like, but actually they don't. And getting angry at them isn't going to help you at all. Uh, unfortunately, they don't care. It hasn't, it hasn't registered with them yet. So we need to keep leading by our examples that we set um, to show them that there is another way until such a time that it becomes important to them and then they join in. I find that such an empathetic approach because it's you're, you're, would you be, am I right in saying that your approach is that it's, well, it's not, because you, it doesn't, you're not blaming them. It's not their fault that they don't know or don't care because no, they haven't been exposed to this, hey, we need to care mentality. Like mm-hmm. they're bored. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm going to ruin the environment. Like, no, no one. Is <laughs> exactly. No one them. does that. I'm going to burn a tree. No. They, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's quite interesting that the the approach again like really refreshing this idea that it's not their fault but well they don't know and let's try and get them to firstly care and and then know and then firstly not be also angry ourselves because when I think, well, and I think that's the switch actually yeah. it's more than for me it sounds like for the people that are advocates that's the switch that they need to make first because then that also mm-hmm. changes their behavior and I think would actually mm-hmm. would actually go somewhere my opinion as well I share the same sentiment yeah. as you I see well I guess if you think about it if someone yells at you and says ah stop doing that like let's um let's use smokers for example right because we all know that cigarettes are really bad for your health But if you yell at once someone and say, oh, that's disgusting, like why do you keep killing yourself? Is that going to make them stop smoking? Probably not. They're probably going to be like, oh, it's my choice. I'm going to keep going. Um, You know, whereas, you know, providing, you know, insight where relevant and approaching it at their level or waiting for them to ask questions, you know, not even going in and being like, you know, here, I bought you a keep cup. <laughs> um, but waiting for them to be curious uh, is going to get a lot better reaction in the long run. Yes, it takes longer, but it's better to build a, I guess, a positive relationship than like a friction point over it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was going to ask, you said something quite interesting that, that gave me a thought, like, what do you do when you have still on the advocates and and for the advocates that are listening sometimes they are they are looking for change really quickly especially in their organization and Mm -hmm. what what do you do and I don't know if this happened to you before but Mm -hmm. what do you do when a a manager says hey we've done this training and they're not doing it quick enough I can let you know I've got I've got a situation just like that in in process to be honest um you know the resolve is to to continue to not give up just because they've said, "Oh, we're not adopting that and we're not doing it straight away," mm-hmm. but to to persist and to continue to say, "Actually, this is important for the organisation, so we are going to be making the changes," um, and you know, we will keep talking to you until we can find a way that works for you and and works for the organisation as well. You said that there was a there's a situation that's happening now uh, that you're in. Yes. Yeah. Where someone in a senior management position is not keen to adopt the ways that the organization, the direction the organization wants to go in. 
Oh, that's even and, rough. A C- okay, go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that they're, they're biding their time and they are not giving up just because the, the initial reaction was, no, it's too hard. Too hard is never actually a reason. It's an excuse. Uh, and, you know, and given the opportunity, we can try and find out what is the excuse. I don't know. Does this person feel that they should know more about it and they don't? And so they're embarrassed or um, that they feel it's not aligned with their goals as an organisation. I don't know. Like uncovering what that reason behind it, because time is is never the real reason for not doing any kind of change, not just change for, for environmental improvement. So they are committed to continuing the conversation, to continuing to work on it so that then, you know, they can find a way to, understand where this person is coming from so that like because it's also then the entire organization benefits once this one person comes on board yeah I like that you said that because that person is going through discomfort like I I was just thinking in the position of that person especially if they're senior they're quite used to Mm. being right they're quite used (laughs) to things going their way they're quite used to respect they're quite being respected and then suddenly Mm -hmm. being the the blockage you know being the hey mm-hmm. like we're all mm-hmm. over here and you you should you should come but you don't want to come yeah. it's not yeah. enough to be in is it no very but i have to say it is a it is a rare situation i haven't come in contact with really any of that from someone at that level it's normally embraced a lot more and we see a lot more progress so it's interesting mm-hmm. but you know stay curious and keep working on it and I'm glad that they're committed to, to continuing on, on working through it. I just wanted to share one more insight before we go over to the last questions. One of the things which we found was the topic of greenwashing. We were talking about keep cups and things like that. We were, we were trying to figure out in terms of people's sentiments towards it or just where we are in terms of, because we talk about greenwashing, but we don't know the state of it. And so we were thinking, how do we start measuring that? Like, where actually are we on? Misunderstood is this whole area, like, really. And so we thought, hey, let's look at the paper cup, because a lot of people see a paper cup as a green alternative because of the word paper. And they think, oh, paper is compostable. But in actual fact, um, it's really, it's one of the worst things that we could be making and and i and what was interesting was that recently and i'm in poland my brother-in-law is very progressive but i was i was actually kind of shocked that he didn't know because we were separating trash and i was like hey you can't put that soup bowl this this mm-hmm. thing that we'd ordered you can't put that into the the mix mix rubbish and he's like no it's let me check the numbers and it wasn't one and then he's like oh my god like it's not recyclable at all in almost anywhere because of the wax lining and all that and how it creates more waste and how it's just not accepted. And so we put that as a question. It turns out that what 28% of people actually know, and most people like seven out of 10 people had no idea that paper cups are actually worse for the environment than mm-hmm. the plastic. They're both bad. I don't want to say one is better than the yeah. other. because That's really not the right frame. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that for me was quite shocking. And then we further asked, so what does that make you feel? Like, how do you feel knowing that? And, and most people were like, I had no idea and I don't know what to do. And I'm just shocked. And I don't know if I did them right. I mean, firstly, I think they needed to be aware, but then I didn't in my, my survey, my surveyors, you know, didn't guide them through the next part and say, well, this is what you can do. They kind of just left it at that because mm-hmm. there was some big event and they needed to, to interview the next people. And it had mm-hmm. me worried. So one part was, 
oh man, okay, seven out of 10 people, I thought it was worse. But for me, it was the, the response that I got, that people were shocked, they didn't know what to do. And it really took them out of their comfort zone when they really started to see how bad the situation was. And, yeah. and how do you, like, I'm curious for, for you, like, what do you do in that situation when people go, oh my God, like my, this, the world is in a terrible state and ah, like that. <laughs> How do we turn that into a bit more of a productive state? You'd be surprised to hear that that conversation comes up a lot around me. (laughs) Perhaps not, no. Look, I mean, this is why I love doing my work because if I I get a room of people and I can take them through the the journey and explain it really thoroughly and and lay out potential solutions, that's great. In a shorter sort of soundbite of a a conversation as so often happens like in a networking event or, um, you know, online forum or something, it is a little bit harder. And, you know, one of my core values for the business is actually patience. And I think that that's really important and also perhaps not trying to solve everything in one swipe that you can go in like, okay, so now more people are aware. Awareness is a huge part of change. Uh, So now they're aware that actually the mixed materials, anything that's mixed materials, so like coffee cups that have got the plastic lining, even if they are a bioplastic or plant-based plastic, it's still a mixed material, which makes it impossible, not impossible to recycle, but it doesn't make it a viable option. So no one's really doing that. Uh, Or if they are, they're finding some way to like melt it and compress it and use the the combined um, materials in a way that produces certain things, but it's still taking a single use item and, um, trying to create, like trying to fit it into a, a, yeah, in a box somehow or another. So I think it's always really important given the opportunity to try and put a solution out there, which is, you know, remember to take a, a keep, keep cup or, or travel mug when you go to get coffee. Uh, and one of the things that I taught myself, which is the most effective way and that people absolutely hate is deny yourself a coffee like the next time you go for a coffee if you don't have a travel mug with you say okay I'm gonna skip this one I can say with a very high amount of confidence that you will remember to take your cup the next time but when we fall into the habit of oh I'll just buy it anyway and I'll remember my cup next time we won't because we haven't suffered we haven't like kind of gone through any any difficulty or any missing out um so that's definitely a good a good strategy is to go, okay, I don't have a cup. Or like turning around, like often we're very close to our workplaces or our homes. Can you turn around and just like run back and grab a mug or ask to borrow one or sit down and enjoy your coffee and take a moment to, to be a little bit still? Uh, and that's, you know, that's been a little bit harder these last couple of years with, uh, you know, changing situations. But. I think there's, you know, there's, there's always a way around it and helping people see that the options are there. I think a lot of people here in particular have defaulted to, oh, well, you know, like with the, with the pandemic, they're not using, they're not letting me bring my cup. And I'll say, did you ask them? Oh, no, there's kind of this like assumption. Uh, I'm like, you actually find a lot of cafes will still accept your cup and 
you know, even coming up with different ways of doing contactless coffee pours and things like that so that there's, you know, uh, the element of safety uh, in there as well. I, you know, you, you're making me think that maybe like, like some, not maybe, but, but some of this sounds like the, some of the deficiencies are, are less about, you know, our current practices and more about human deficiencies. Like I was just thinking growing up, I, my imagination or my understanding perception of adults were people that would just do what needed to be done. And, and I, and I wonder if I, if I just happened, I was lucky enough to grow up around adults that kind of just did this. Well, like, oh, like, for example, what you said, like, hey, you'd have to keep up. They would say, well, they're not letting me bring it in. But did you, did you ask? And it sounds like <laughs> such a basic thing. But I guess on one hand, people are busy or they, they might just genuinely not have thought of it. Um, you know, and so I, I'm also now in this conversation, like having some intrapersonal conflict myself. <laughs> Like, like I'm totally judging people here. And then yet on the other hand, like thinking, man, but they should do this. And so it's such a, it's such an interesting talk. You give me all these, all these thoughts now of like, wow, my own deficiencies. <laughs> no. So anyway, I, on that note, on that odd, confusing note. Um, there, I, I want to talk about that because uh, some of it is to do with integrity. There is a certain level of, of integrity that actually people do need to have if they say, hey, I'm, mm-hmm. this is important to me. I want to do it. Uh, but firstly, I'm not going to like shame myself if I mess up and ah, okay, it's, I'm not there yet. And the, and the yeah. patience that you were talking about, I really, really like that approach. Um, so these leaders that we just had, you know, meet in Glasgow and... Mm-hmm put up mm-hmm. some massive massive goals you know and they did that last time they did that the time before that the time before that what what's your what's your take on this though like like on the media generally is from the media that i'm reading anyway mm-hmm. is, is um is slamming them for saying hey there's you're not you're not putting where the money where the mouth is you know and or in this case they are putting them their money where their mouth is but the policy isn't changing or the activities aren't changing yeah. that's not a very yeah. good place so yeah what's your what's your take on that well i think it's again it's another one of our human behaviors like the people that are saying it's not good enough and i i, I will admit it i used to be like that I, you know, I used to be like, oh, but there's a better solution. And, you know, and I've, I've tempered my ways <laughs> um, for, for my own benefit as much as, as everyone else's. Um, but again, it's that if you, if you yell at someone and tell them it's not good enough, are they going to go back and try harder or are they going to go, oh, well, it wasn't good enough? Like, so let's go. Uh, and I see this happen a lot with like big, big companies. Um, certainly, in recent years, one of one example of that is a Starbucks, and they got rid of the straws and they changed the the lid on their cups to be more of a, a sippy lid, and people absolutely slammed them over. It's like, okay, how about we go? Okay, great step. What's next? Because I think this is again, it's like not trying to fix it all in one swipe. We've got to take multiple bites of this this beast, uh, and so I am choosing to view the COP26 in a positive light. Uh, 
Uh, I am fortunate to be part of a community of, of climate leaders from uh, training that I did back in 2014. And they provided some really fantastic briefs from climate leaders who were able to attend in person. And they said, you know, for the first time ever, there has been absolute agreement that climate change is real and I know we've been having this conversation for a really long time and like why are we still debating it but they've actually officially agreed to that now that was one of the takeaways I took so okay there's no more arguing there's no more is this real is is it human activity or uh, as some people like to say corporate activity or large corporations that have accelerated climate change that's no longer in con like in contest that is fact um, so that's a great move we were able to get the commitments from all of the countries that committed to reduce their emissions down okay it's not at the ideal level yet but it is down based on what the last agreement was so i think these things kind of need to happen for then the policies to fall into place yes i think there were a lot of people talking a lot of fluff that they don't intend to follow through on um, Here's looking at my country here. <laughs> uh, Australia have been, you know, really looked down upon by a lot of other country leaders for their inaction and their obvious lack of commitment. Um, but that's just the representative. Uh, the other big win was that there was a huge presence of businesses at COP26. Uh, and there was a huge presence of financial institutions equating for, uh, I think, over half of the financial investment for the world. Uh, so people are taking it seriously. They know that this is the direction we have to go in. You know, in, in the case of Australia, like we're going we're gonna to do it anyway. Uh, and from my perspective and in my work, I'm just like, I'm, it's not up for debate anymore. I have decided that I just need to say, okay, whoever's ready to work with me, let's go. Because like, just, just let's get on with it and stop talking about it. That was a lot to, to take in. So I'm glad that it, was, it is seen first seen a part of the light that we are for the first time in agreement. You had me thinking though, like, because in the past, thinking of the Pareto rule, how, you know, there are political power institutions, let's say, that exists maybe even just in one country that have such a crazy amount of influence, um, mm -hmm. political into corporate, into mm -hmm. you know, other, other countries and things over, over environmental practices just because they were denying it. Whereas now, I remember seeing the news saying that, you know, particular political parties have now turned up in sync with one another representing a country and now saying, hey, we're all on the same page now. So that um, that's good news. I, I'd like to end that on uh, end this on, on something positive, actually. So I'm yeah. glad that you're, you ended it positively because I wasn't sure where to take that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're opening a can of worms, but it was OK. It oh, was a risk. I don't I know. Really <laughs> So on that note, how do how do people uh, find you? How do they get to know you? And, and also, um, is there anything, actually, any last words or anything that you are uh, working on that you want our, our listeners to, to be aware of or maybe join? Maybe you have a series of... Yeah, amazing. I'm glad you asked. Yeah, I've just started running some online sustainability chats. So mm -hmm. just a brief chat a couple of times a month. Uh, it's usually the second Monday and the following Saturday. 
uh, online. So, you know, anyone can join from around the world and we just get together and talk about sustainability. doesn't matter if you're, you know, doing it for your business or doing it as an individual, if you think you're super eco or you think that you're really not doing a lot. Uh, it's a very safe place to have these conversations and they've been really great. Sometimes it can be a little bit of a lonely journey. So stick together and we become a bit stronger. Oh, that sounds good. And how do people reach you? Yeah. So my website is plasticfreec.co. So it's S-E-A, plasticfreec.co. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, which is plasticfreeseaa. Um, a little bonus A on there for fun or for Australia or whatever. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll also put those details into the, the descriptions and things like that. Uh, into That's a good phone. idea. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. Thank and you I so much, you a Wonderful evening. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Have a fabulous day. <laughs>